In the Pits is sponsored by FU Athletics, created with a purpose and focused on building a better you. We are a brand that matters in your workout, and every purchase gives back to cancer research. Go to thefuathletics.com and use code INTHEPITS25 for 25% off of your order. In the Pits is partnered with Get That Shot. Get That Shot now offers first-in-line photo and video editing, 20% off Get That Shot merch, and 20% off prints to all teams that wear the Get That Shot logo on their jersey. Message get that underscore shot on Facebook or Instagram to become a get that shot program team. In the Pits is partnered with Paintball Kumite. Paintball Kumite is a program designed by Colt Roberts of professional team San Antonio X Factor to take paintball players of all ages, experience levels, and skill groups and mold them into champions. The program breaks the game down into small, easy to learn sessions designed to help you master the fundamentals so that you can elevate your game. Newcomers to the program get a free one-hour introductory class when mentioning In the Pits. To sign up for a class, message at paintballkumite on Instagram. In the Pits is partnered with Compete. Compete is a Texas-based brand by Jell Stewart of professional team AC Diesel that provides custom jerseys, pants, headbands, straps, tech shirts, and any other soft goods to help individuals and teams compete at the highest level. Support Texas Paintball and message Compete on Facebook or Instagram and mention In The Pits Podcast for 10% off your entire order. In The Pits is sponsored by Hustletown Paintball. Hustletown is a brand by Jason Tinsley of Houston that is all about representing Houston paintball and highlighting its local talent. Head to hustletownpaintball.net to browse their selection of casual wear and use code PIT10 for 10% off of your order. Welcome, everybody, to episode 30 of In the Pits Paintball Podcast. This podcast is focused on everything that has to do with the paintball scene here in Texas, from professional players and teams to new divisional programs, local tournament series, field owners, Texas-based brands, even photographers and videographers. Every week, we will have a short and sweet episode with a new topic and a new special guest. I'm Christian Smith. I'm a player for the Texas Titans. In this episode, we are going In the Pits with Ryan Brand, coach of Pro Team San Antonio X Factor and co-owner of Project Paintball. Ryan, how are you doing this evening? Doing good. Thank you for asking. How you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, it's good to have you on episode 30. We've been going on for 30 weeks now. Uh, part of me is like, wow, we've made it this far, but uh, super excited for this one. Uh, I know you just had a drop go down on uh, Project's website. How did that go for you? That went well. You know, it, um, it, it sold out like most things do. So it's, um, mm. you know, really fortunate that everything's gone really well for us and, you know, a lot of support from the community. And, and we do, um, a lot of time and kind of uh you know to ensure that what we're putting out we're really proud of and i think it's been well received by people and just kind of we really enjoy it um i'd say me and archie are probably multiple times a day kind of working on what's next and and just kind of really going over it with a fine tooth comb and it's been a kind of a blessing that be able to you know have a successful business um you know come out of paintball and something that we've kind of dedicated our lives to for so long well, it's definitely, uh, definitely been well received. I'm seeing the, especially the TM forties lately. It seems like those things are everywhere now. Yeah. Yeah. Those, uh, did great. And, um, you know, there's 300 of them. So there's, there's 300 of them out there. Yeah. Um, and that's, um, uh, you know, out there and, you know, we got some more, um, good stuff coming soon. So we're looking like 2023, we probably might have, uh, most, project markers out there we're looking at multiple full milled gun releases uh hopefully 
Oh, that'd be cool. I'm looking forward to see uh, what else comes out. So let's go ahead and get started. Uh, Ryan, for those listening that maybe don't know so much about you, uh, how long have you been involved in the Texas paintball scene? Uh, a long time. Uh, trying to think back. Um, I would say late 90s is when I first started you know, playing rec ball um, and then started probably playing uh, tournaments in Texas uh, sometime around the 2001 um, time frame, sometimes in there, and then started playing national tournaments in 2003 um, and kind of been for most of the rest of the time, other than a couple of year hiatus, just kind of a lot of paintball. And that's that's a very long time to be in the game. Uh, so, what are some of the team names that you've been under during that time? Uh, so, um, very early on, I think my my first um, you know five man team uh, was called Texas Fire. That was my first like you know we had some like whatever like beginner tournament stuff I did, but that was my first like team that was playing um, the packs and, and PMI series at the time in the early two thousands. Um, so I did that for. Uh, a little while and then um, I got picked up by um, well actually it was kind of the first um, uh, B-Slot Factory was formed um, which later became Smart Parts Factory team but that was uh, formed by the Garcia brothers uh, Gerald and Rich Garcia um, who were at the time very early on were playing for uh, Texas Storm when they first started to put the team together uh, but quickly, uh, Gerald went to Oakland Assassins and went pro, you know, months into him kind of starting that team. And then Richard followed him shortly behind. So that was kind of my first real program of um, dealing with kind of pro level, um, you know, coaching, I guess you would say, and ownership. Um, and then those two, you know, they were kind of learning, you know, along the way. So, you know, as they went and started learning from Bob Long, you know, on Oakland Assassins. They were kind of bringing that same kind of some of the knowledge and leadership down to us as kids. And, you know, I was probably maybe 14, 15 years old at the time. So it was, um, you know, pretty uh, fast and furious. Um, and anyone remembers the two guys, they were hard nosed. Um, you know, I would say closest to probably a Mike Hinman style of coaching, um, if you're going to compare them to somebody now. So, um, you know, as a 14 young kid, 15 year old kid, I think that's uh, um, really kind of laid a pretty strong impression on me. And then so that was, you know, B-Slap, um, you know, around the time like we won the first ever Bunker Fest. Um, so I think that was probably 2002, I think, um, you know, won the won the three man the first day. I think we got second in the five man, probably crisis management, which is, um, you know, Brett Cohen, Derek Jordan, Ryan nice. Cohen went on to be X Factor. Um, and so back then, and at that time, um, Gerald and Richard had played for uh, Texas Havoc before they went over to Storm. And Havoc was playing novice in 10-man. Um, and they kind of uh, were looking mid-year in 2003 uh, to kind of, you know, that was kind of the age of... Uh, young players like kind of looking inward and kind of picking up some young guys and the most of the habit guys were probably in their mid 20s at that time early 30s uh people like tim peters spencer boyle uh jeremy perkins just a lot of uh um you know old school texas guys that were you know a little bit successful but havoc havoc is one of the better teams in texas but they were probably a tier under 
you know, Storm and, and um, Addicted and, and stuff like that. So uh, they approached Gerald. We practiced him a lot with B-Slap, uh, and a couple of us um, went to Chicago in 2003. Um, and that was my first national tournament. And I think I was maybe 16 at the time, somewhere along there. Um, and we wound up, we went to, uh, made it to the finals, um, first event, and kind of novice 10-man. Um, which was a pretty back then in ten man they just had amateur it was pro am novice and rookie so there it was a um, you know pretty big jump from tex local Texas tournaments to that um, and I had had a lot of success on on B slap we won pretty much everything in the novice division um, back in the packs and uh, PMI days so we were. Um, I would say we were winning probably 90% of the tournament. So I was doing a lot of winning early on, but then going to the national stage, um, it was just a, a big eye opener. Uh, but the competition level was significantly different. Um, so yeah, we went to uh, the finals in um, Chicago there. Um, and uh, the team, I, it was us, Mama's Boys, and Justice were the three teams kind of going at it the mid-year back then. And, and those are some iconic programs um, for people that have been around that long. Um, and then the next event in Philly went to the finals again. Um, I think we got third, maybe in both of them. Mama's Boys and Justice were both really strong teams. Um, and then after that is when um, we decided as B-Slap to start playing national tournaments. So we played World Cup in 2003 and um, made it to the finals again where we played Pag Factory Team, which is uh, better known now as Edmonton Impact. So that was the Yakimics, uh, Josh uh, Omelette, Bart Yakimik was playing at that time. Um, we lost to them there too. So a lot of success early on in the national stage, but no no wins um, mm. kind of in that time frame. And, um, and then at that point, BSOP turned into the Smart Parts Factory team. We did that for a few years. And um, at the end of 2005, I went to X Factor. And you've pretty much just been there ever since, uh, you know, give or take the couple of stints with the infamous 10 man guys. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's been my home and, um, never really, um, yeah, it's just, that's just, it's kind of been my squad and, and definitely it's weird. You know, I've gotten offers over the years and, 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 you know, more frequent over the past couple of years to, to, you know, pursue some other opportunities. But, um, to me kind of X factors, you know, it's, it's family and, um, it's just not really, it's kind of a weird one, you know, like the, you know, it's, I've played my whole career, my whole pro career there. I've, I've coached, you know, aside from in Europe, my whole, you know, career there. And, you know, I would be lying if I said I didn't have curiosity of what it would be like um, to work with another group of guys and, and do that. But to the day, like uh, X Factor for me, is just, it's just part of me. And, um, you know, I, I just, I can't really see myself leaving. Yeah, I've uh, we got similar sentiments from uh, Colt Roberts on the very first episode of the show. He was just like, for him, it was a lot about like local pride and how um, he he just believes in his squad and uh, you know ride or die basically with this group of guys. Uh, and it's a little interesting to see because especially right now with the off season in the NXL, you're seeing a lot of pretty big moves. Uh, even, uh, even last thinking back to last year's off season, you had all of the Latin Saints stuff where a lot of these big name players went to the saints and then immediately 
you know, after the first event, they had to find new homes and scattered amongst different teams. But X Factor was pretty stable during that time. And a lot of guys coming in. Yes, Archie went over to Dynasty, but then, you know, you picked up Sean, you picked up Anthony, uh, Cody was healthy, you solidified Tom Guest. And it seems like X Factor seems to be a place that a lot of uh, players, like when they get here, they just want to stay. Uh, yeah, I'd say that, um, you know, I, I do a lot of the, the general managing as well. And I would say that we luckily have a pretty good reputation um, of a good place where players want to play. Um, you know, we're not a big money team, but I would say we're still probably in the, the higher, you know, two thirds as far as budget. So we do have access to, to be able to handle those types of things. Um, and everyone just knows, and it's been, you know, the praises have been sung for so long, how that, like, Alex is just a straight up, you know, great person and human. And I think people want to uh, feel comfortable. And when you're talking to, you know, these upper, higher level pros, they want to go to a place where they know that if they make an agreement, it's going to be upheld no matter what. Um, there's just not going to be any BS or anything like that. And especially kind of the whole Saints situation has amplified that a little bit where people are, I think even going forward are going to be a little bit more wary of um, situations that maybe seem too good to be true or, or just a bit of a leap. So people around the league, they know, you know, a lot of them know me because I've been, you know, a staple in coaching for so many seasons. Um, so they kind of know what they're getting there. And then, you know, they know Alex and, so it, you know, a lot of our guys are. It's it's known as that we're a serious team, but we like to have a good time as well. And we've been competitive for so long, and you know, maybe not the. It's, you know, last year was probably the only time that we had some inconsistency as as far as not competing at an event, you know, or at least not having a chance to win for for a long time. And so, um, me, it's like it's a pretty. It's not a hard conversation to try to convince someone to come to our team. It's usually um, fielding a lot of people trying to to come and having to kind of break the news that that you know we're full. We can only roster so many people. Well, that's a that's a good problem to have. Uh, if if anything, especially in a pro division as competitive as it is now. Uh, someone in the chat uh, during your story about your come up through uh, the through the climb up to the top, he's saying 14 year old kids then were built different from 14 year old kids. Now uh, it seems, seems that way. I mean, there are you every now and then, especially um, recently with kids that the ML Kings have picked up and uh, the Ironmen have got some young kids that uh, have just made splashes on the pro league, but it seems like, you know, you, you hear it a lot on, uh, on go sports with Matt Marshall and a couple of, like other podcasts out there, like Ryan Greenspan's, how they're talking, how the uh, pro league is is getting older, and there's not really that much young talent coming in to replace them nearly as often as there used to be. Uh, yeah, um, you know, to that comment of fourteen year old kids aren't built the same. I I, I absolutely see that more often than not. Um, and, but then it just seems like you know, with social media, like occasionally you'll just see a kid pop up and he's a ten year old kid running around with shooting 68 caliber you know running at, at pro players and it's like okay oh, so they're still out there um i just think they're maybe a little bit fewer and, and further you know far apart and you know a lot of it probably comes down to parenting i mean i'm a parent myself and like the stuff that 
the uh, I got away with, you know, and, and out and, and bumps and bruises and just fending for myself as a young child and, and that I couldn't dream of allowing my kids to, to go out and do is probably, you know, for better or worse, um, it's an upbringing thing that you just, it's, it's, uh, you, the kids just aren't as tough early on, um, in my opinion. So it's, it's, it's an interesting thing, but, um, back when I was a kid, you know, getting, you know, shot to hell wasn't that big of a deal because I, you know, bombed a hill on my bike a hundred times, like covered in blood coming home at, at 9 p.m. at night, you know, you know, stuff like that. So, I just feel like, you know, you got to get toughened up and, you know, I think the kids are a little bit more tough back then. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a different world now with all the like technology and stuff. I mean, as an elementary school teacher, I see it firsthand and it, I think most of it is just how nowadays kids are growing up with a tablet in their hands is really just the the bottom line. They're they're doing more things digitally than there are like going out and experiencing them. Uh, but it's a, it's a shame, but you know, kids are, there are, there are the kids out there. Like you said, I mean, look at how New York wrecking crew did in D3 this year. Most of that roster is like under 16 years old and they're killing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so absolutely. There's, they're out there. It, and I think it's, it seems like there's more of it now than there has been in, in the past five mm-hmm. or six years. So absolutely. Uh, so Ryan, tell us about how you first got into paintball. Um, so for me, it, it's kind of a weird one. I, I wasn't a birthday party kid like most people. Um, I had a buddy, um, and he had a, uh, an old smart parts catalog. Um, so it was, um, something you would, you know, pick up at a, a, a dealer or, you know, sometimes if you, maybe you purchase a gun, it would come in there. So, but all it really was is it would have barrels different anodized barrels and grips and, and a couple guns and different this and there just wasn't too much to it but i got a hold of this thing and i would just obsess over it and flip through it you know all the time just obsess over it and i was always trying to to get my parents to let me get a paintball gun let me get a paintball gun and at the time i, I didn't even know there was such a thing as paintball fields so i just was trying to get a gun um and you know after a lot of convincing and this probably went on for for well over a year um you know i grew up on on, uh, quite a bit of land and my dad had um you know bought some paintball guns and him and his his old business partner you know came came over and and me and my brother we played two on two um back in the field and it was one of these things that i don't know how i was maybe like 11 at the time something like that 12 and we, um, you know, it was just way too big of a, an area for two on two. So we built our little fort, me and my brother, and they hunted us. And, you know, it probably went on for two hours that we never even saw each other. And then, you know, me and my brother finally got out of our fort, went looking for them. And then, you know, we never found them. So and we're getting, like, heat exhaustion. My, my, we were in these giant, like, overalls, so it wouldn't hurt or anything like that. It was a Texas summer. Finally made our way back to our fort and my dad and his business partner had gotten in our fort, waited for us, and just shot the, the living hell out of us. <laughs> um and so my first experience with paintball was like heat exhaustion, didn't see anybody walk around the woods and got shot like fifteen times, never pulled the trigger, and I was hooked. It was like amazing. Uh so it was just <laughs> one of these things like um I, I was just I think one of these people that was just 
built for it, you know, for, for the obsession in any way I found it, no matter how, what the experience was, I was going to you know, fall in love. So that, that was my first time. And, and from there, you know, I, my dad found out that there was rec ball fields and we just kind of started doing that thing for a little bit and, you know, and just progress over time. Oh, uh, geez, starting out, I, I don't know if I would have been quite as hooked if, with the same experience. I think I might've just gone home after that, but, <laughs> yeah. uh, man, what a story. That's awesome. Uh, and so, being in the scene for so long, I mean, you started out, you, you said you started playing rec ball in what, like 1999 and then eventually yes, getting into right. tournaments shortly after that. So you've been in the scene for, you know, close to 25 years at this point. Um, so this next question uh, is sponsored by Hustletown Paintball. Head to hustletownpaintball.net, use code PIT10 for 10% off of your order. So what are some things that you've noticed that have changed within the Texas scene for better or for worse over that time period? So like in my in my personal experience, like it's definitely um, kind of been a, a hills and valleys to it to where, you know, when I was first playing local tournaments, um, you know, the packs and the PM, there was two big series, you know, and, and, and almost three. And then you had Bunker Fest coming as well for their, their once a year event. And um, it was a big kind of traveling show that, um, you know, kind of similar to what we have with the USXBL now. Um, but there's two of them, right? Competing and there's tournaments all the time and uh, different places. It wasn't going to the same fields all the time. So we would you know, have a tournament. Padre Island was like the big one every year. And um, it was kind of moving all over the place. And, and, and then there was other, you know, a lot of other smaller series that were also um, competitive and going on the XBL and, and all sorts of things. And so there's just a lot of options, a lot of opportunity. Um, multiple divisions of, of competitiveness. Um, and then at some point, you know, it's hard for me to say, because just like I think these days a little bit, like especially back then, like you start playing national tournaments and then you were pretty much done with the, the local scene. And especially if you started playing, like, you know, once you start playing amateur, you know, it, it was similar to days, like there's just not that many open tournaments, right? So you kind of get phased out. So I didn't have my finger too much on the pulse, but it did seem that like those series ended for whatever reason. And there wasn't something in my recollection that, that stepped in right away. And the kind of regional scene of Texas um, seemed to kind of really fade, um, you know, for a while. And especially like, you know, multiple, you know, maybe there's some stuff in, in Dallas and there's stuff in Austin, but it just seemed like once those series kind of fell off and, and some stuff in Houston, but it was all kind of separated. Um, and it would be hard for me to, to, to know exactly when the shift happened. You know, I, you know, you put the US, is it US XBL now? Yes. It might have been AXBL at some point when it started to come back. Yeah. And, and I don't know what year, maybe that's 2000. 10, 11, I, I have no idea, but it seemed like it was really small at first. Um, and then it, it just started to kind of build and build and build to what we have now, um, which is a little bit more, you know, reminiscent to what was there in 2003, 2002. Um, but it seemed like there was, at, at a certain time, there, it was kind of a lot of these scenes had really kind of died off. You know, probably similar to paintball in general in that 2008, 9, 10, 
recession. Yeah. Um, we have definitely seen the scene like continuing to grow in the last couple of years. I mean, it did start in like kind of that 2010 to 2012 era when the AXBL, uh, they started coming back, they started building up their teams and uh, eventually the name switched to USXBL. I'm not entirely sure what was the reasoning behind that, but now there's a lot more local scenes and uh, it's there's just tournaments going on all the time, especially up at uh, FIT nowadays because they've got basically three or four different whole series that they only host there because they've got the uh, XTPL, uh, they've got Frostbite, which is run by Greg Pauly. They've got the the Mech X-Ball stuff that they do. And then, of course, the USXBL events themselves. So you've got just constant tournaments that are going on. And now, I th I think in Texas anyway, that's why you're seeing a, so many like Division 5 teams all the time. Is because there's just, just availability everywhere. And especially at... Like if you look in the last two to three years, X Factors had numerous programs start up when I'd say like 2017, 2018, 2019, there was really, it was like grit. Dragoons had been there for a while. Um, Ruthless has been coming in and out. Austin Chaos kind of merged with grit and then that was it. But now you've got like 10 different programs there. So it's cool to see how the scene is building up and not just like on a statewide, but also like kind of local, more like city uh, scenes have really been building up and it's turning into a bit of an arms race here in Texas. Like Houston has exploded. They've got a couple new fields a couple of division three division two teams competing and same thing at X factor. And then of course, uh, fit has teams from top to bottom. Yeah, it's great. And I think, um, you know, fit kind of really kind of set the model as far as having all these tournaments and, and JD has been having tournaments since I've been playing. Right. So, um, and it's one of these situations that, um, you give people a reason to form teams, a reason to play and, a, and an opportunity to win. Um, everything's a lot better, right? You get a little taste of winning, then you can, um, you'll get hooked a little bit more and you can start building these programs and these teams where if it was just the USXBL, you know, there's only two or three divisions. So how many to take a, a new team, a beginner team and say they're going to win right away. It's, it's very difficult. So I think it's great what they're doing up there. And I think it's kind of the proof is in the pudding now that um, it, it's great for paintball as a whole. And I know like X Factor, you know, when you were kind of looking, you know, now, you know, they're running kind of a local small events, Expo, mm -hmm. you know, series and stuff like that. And, and I think that's a little bit of, of kind of watching, you know, what happened at Fit and saying, hey, like, let's, let's try to um, to do the same and, and not as like a, a financial money making thing, but just like for the good of like, what's we need more teams we want more players like we want to be better for um you know the scene here in san antonio um so you know we're looking to try to do more of that it just it takes it's a lot of work and i kind of tip my hat to jd and team because it, it's a lot of work to do those things because you know a lot of those smaller tournaments it's not like they're they're making tons of money yeah it definitely takes a huge amount of work um but another reason why i think that you're seeing this big build up is now that we've had like you know essentially three pro teams in texas for a couple of years now you're seeing that these local pro players are getting more involved with divisional programs and they're 
trying to like kind of build their own legacy. It started uh, with obviously the the fit guys they've had Mark Johnson and Ben Challenger and all of all of those guys have been involved coaching in all the different fit teams. Uh, last year, uh, the Titans were lucky enough to have you for our very first event uh, in USXBL coaching us. And then we've had guys like Nico Hyde with the Austin Hypnotic Camp, Devin Stewart with um, with the I, I think he's with Outlaw Anodizing over in Houston. Even um, you know, uh, Samotrov was with the Texas Cyclones for a while. So uh, this all of all of these pro teams. Uh, kind of building up with these divisional programs so that they can do it the right way. Uh, I think it's keeping these players, not just like getting them invested, but they're also staying in the game longer because they know that they're kind of doing it the right way from the ground up. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it also, you know, having interaction with these guys and and just in general, just the teams being there um, gives all these players um, a pathway of something to aspire to. And not only that maybe one day they can make it on one of those teams, but I mean, shoot, one day their team could be a pro team. It's just, it's pretty incredible that, you know, me growing up, you know, that wasn't even a thought, right? Like it just wasn't even a, a possibility. It was, you wanted to be on a pro team. You had to um, go make another pro team. That was the pathway back then. You know, I spent a whole summer, you know, going back and flying back and forth to Philly, like practicing with the, the All-Americans back then, because that's what I was trying to do before X Factor became a pro team. And you, you know, and then we did it, but it's been so long, right? So like Alex made it happen, but that was in 2006. So for a long time there, it's like, is it really possible for another team to come up and do it? And then AC Dallas made it happen. And then AC Diesel made it happen. And now you have um, Notorious, you know, made it happen from, and I guess I would say that, you know, same thing for AC Dallas, but like, you know, probably took that from a D3 team or something mm-hmm. to a pro team over the course of, you know, five or six seasons. And, um, you know, Austin Notorious has took a D3 team, D4 team to now a pro team over the course of five, six seasons. Like, it's pretty, those stories don't exist that often, if that makes sense. Like, you only get, at best, you're getting one of those stories a year. Um, and often it's not like that, you know, something else happens or whatever. So the fact that we've had three of them happen out of Texas in the past, I don't know, eight years is pretty incredible. Oh yeah. I'm just glad you brought that up with Notorious. I mean, they went from playing D3, having a bunch of D3 players. They immediately win the D2 season as soon as they jump to D2 and then they immediately win the semi-pro season and win the pro spot as soon as they jump to semi-pro so that kind of leap is just unreal and it's not a unique story by any means I mean you've got a lot of guys like uh, Logan Dyer and uh, who's who's the new kid on uh, Diesel that just played for them at Cup uh, also just came up from Hansel. yeah Logan Hansel uh, you know, you've got stories like that happening all the time now, and it's it's cool to see. It's and I think uh, everybody else in Texas, they're like, oh, you know, that's that's gonna be us soon. So uh, that's why you're yeah. that's why you're seeing that's this awesome. huge arms race uh, and a whole like buildup of D three D two programs that's happening right now. They're looking to come uh, climb their way to the top. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible, and you, you it's probably you know, like in California, right? Like you could say, like there's you know getting on aftermath and there's going to be a whole, you know, youth resurgence and stuff. But 
other than that, you know, it's like when's the last time a team from California became a new pro team? But you look at the other major market, when's the last time a team from Florida became a new, I guess they can't, eh, I mean, they were formed and kind of grandfathered in, honestly, from yeah. the, the Prague version of Kings. So it's like the fact that it's all, you know, Texas is doing it, which, which is awesome. And, and obviously, like this last year was so tight, you know, a, a Midwest team, you know, almost did it. And, um, you know, or another Texas team, you know, if it was, you know, the, those three teams, the separation was, you know, so minimal that you could say they all three earned or deserved it, you know, or deserve deserve an opportunity more so than expansion that, that took place three or four years ago. So, um, but yeah, I think Texas is a great place. Like if I'm someone playing on Tribe or Shut Up or the Titans or anything like that, like I'm looking at it like, oh shit, like this, if we stick together and keep dedicating ourselves to this, like, we might be able to do this. Like it's a, it's a pretty cool, cool thing that if you would have asked me that question seven years ago, eight years ago, like, like could another Texas, is there going to be another Texas pro team? I would, I would say no, no, no chance. Like it's just not, it was different back then. You know, we, didn't, we only had 12 pro teams total, you know, at that time in 2012 or whatever it was. So, you know, the, the, it's changed a lot, but I think it's a little, it's more healthy, right. That, there's opportunities to reach the top more so than just the best player out of your state gets a, gets a shot on, you know, dynasty or something one day, you know, so mm-hmm. it's, it's cool. It's healthy. Yeah. It's exciting to see you. And, uh, shoot, I bet I I'd be willing to put money by, uh, this time next year that fit's going to join the pro team. And then we're going to have, you know, four Texas teams and maybe even five after that pretty soon after, so uh, it's cool to yeah. see all it's, it's of the so, talent coming out. I agree, but it's just so treacherous. Like semi-pro winning a pro spot, I don't think people realize how difficult it is and the trajectory of like, you, know, you look at like the mutiny, um, who'd they go toe-to-toe with one Aftermath, year? I think it was. An aftermath, right? So the mutiny aftermath, and I think that came down to like half a percentage point or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then that for whatever reason was kind of like a death blow to, to, to mutiny, right? Like they haven't been close ever since. Um, and it's, I, I tip my hat that it seems like last camp and fit are, are both kind of loading up and dedicating themselves and they're going to go back at it head to head. But at the end of the day, you know, unless a team folds or, or something that one of those teams isn't going to make it again. And I mean, that's, it's, it's a hard thing to do. And it, and when you look at semi-pro, it often comes down to consistency. It's not necessarily winning one or two or three events. It's, it's how bad did you F up when, at the tournament mm-hmm. you, you missed the cut at or, or something like that. It's, it's one of those um, situations where you, there's not a lot of, of room for error. And the amount of pressure on that, it's pretty crazy you know as, as pro teams right now it's like there there's a lot of pressure as far as like you you miss a cut like like to us like we hadn't missed a cut in uh, god no i don't know like eight nine years or something um and so the missing a cut w- was pretty devastating right to to the that streak and just kind of unknown territory for us but you know, i can only imagine missing a cut in semi-pro and just knowing that like your the rest of your season might be for not just because you had one bad showing, and so it's it's pretty treacherous. 
Oh yeah, I mean, a lot of people love to bring up that oh, Blast Camp won three events this year. They or two, two or three events this year, and they you know deserve the pro spot. But no one brings up how they also got a tenth place at the first event, and then they didn't make Sunday at Cup, and you know those kinds of things will just kill you. And well, yeah, they'll kill you. But I think like you look at uh, like everyone sitting there after damages season, like hey, they won a tournament, a minor, they got second at World Cup, um, you know. They're, they're saying they're you know looking at them like they're one of the best teams in the world, right? Well, in Chicago, I think they got like 17th place. Like mm-hmm. if you do that in semi-pro, like that's curtains for you. You know that 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 was third from last place, and so it just it is a it's interesting that it's definitely I think one up one down uh, might just not be enough to 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 be realistic of getting the best team out there. Um, yeah. That's just the way I see it. Uh, it'd be interesting to see if that uh, system changes, especially, you know, just to bring up the Latin Saints again, you know, it's, I think it's fair to say, like, after that first event, when they lost their whole roster, they got last in the next three events. And then a cup, they had to bring in CEP to win a match. So we'll see what happens with that squad. Uh, so, yeah. so Ryan, um, you started out as a originally as a player for the X-Factor organization, but uh, in around 2010, 2011 or so, you became the coach. Uh, what made you transition into coaching duties? Um, so mainly was at the... I, w- I was in college and uh, like um, through my whole pro career with X-Factor, and I think at the, around the end of the 2007 season, early 2008, um, it was... It was getting a bit like challenging, right? Uh, as far as trying to balance the two, um, and, and I made a decision to to step away. A, a decision like I, I can openly say I regret now, um, but at the time, you know, it, it's something where I just, um, you know, I, you're you're giving up a lot in those years. Um, we were carrying a, a very big roster at the time, and for me. Um, a mix of being one of the newer guys, one of the last guys on the team when we went pro, um, some injuries, um, having to miss a tournament um, due to a professor uh, having zero wiggle room on a final, um, those types of things. Like it was, it was always a challenge for me, um, you know, maintaining like a starting spot or, or even like, initially earning one took for a while and then when i got one it just it kept it was just a, a kind of a, a knock of something just kept happening and it was really difficult on me and then you, you focus that in on you know you're missing a lot on the college experience because your life is painful at that point especially us we were practicing every weekend back then um and um and just kind of really kind of had my separated focus so i stepped away um i played a tournament with x Factor in 2009 but for the most part i was um you know, kind of uh, not involved with paintball, and and I really it was more so of a uh, a regret of like um, I couldn't even look to to to, to 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 perfectly be honest, like I couldn't even watch because uh, I kind of regret. I made my dis- decision kind of hastily after we lost the tournament um, that I was going to be done. And then I was like, I got to stick with my decision or whatever. So I lived with Grayson all through the rest of college. And so he was on X Factor. I was with the team all the time, you know, it, all around it. But I, I couldn't even, like, make my way out to practice more often than not. Um, so after I got done with school, kind of got established in my career, 
um you know i i was kind of you know archie kind of got me back to kind of wanted me to come out and kind of just be part of the team i think initially wanted me to come out sideline coach back when that was a thing and um you know i agreed to do so and you know i kind of quickly fell back in love with the sport but i definitely didn't want to uh, feel like I was going to commit as much time as as now. I was thinking that coaching was going to be, um, coaching was different back then. Like not even like a lot of teams didn't even have coaches back in 2010, 11. So um, I did not. I thought coaching at the time when I agreed to coach was going to be like a, you know, a, a five maybe like five practice days a year in, in the tournament. Like that was my intention. Um, but obviously it quickly spiraled into a full full on thing where I'm investing more time than the players so if i could have done it back over again i would have just came back and played um but i came back and coached i did fall in love with coaching um i really enjoyed um having influence like on every point uh rather than um you know especially coming from the point where when i was fighting for playing time for a lot of my career uh, being able to kind of have a really important role in, in the direction of the team um and kind of it's just the story goes from there. And so it's just been a, um, you know, kind of a, a labor of love a little bit as coaching, but I, I would say um, nothing really beats playing paintball at the same time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so let's talk about like those responsibilities as the coach. I mean, a lot of people, their perception of a coach is like, Hey, you're just going to draw up the X's and O's. You're going to draw the breakouts, call the plays. You're going to call who the five are on, uh, on the field. But as far as your responsibilities with X factor are, what all do you do as the coach? Uh, Well, I guess, uh, like for me specifically, you know, this is probably not all coaches have this, but like, I, I, I have a, Alex is a very busy man. Um, and I, I would say uh, the majority of, of the general managing of the team um, falls on my shoulders as well. Uh, so that's as far as like managing the roster, um, all those types of things it is something that, um, you know, I'm tasked with to kind of keep everything going, you know, scheduling practices, really everything to kind of like those types of things are, are things that I run uh, alongside being the coach. Um, and Alex is very supportive and has input on everything, but it's definitely like, that's kind of, I'm the first line when it comes to those types of things. Um, and then when we go into, you know, coaching, it's, um, you know, obviously there's the X's and O's, but I have a lot of responsibility as far as, um, you know, organizing strategy, um, just kind of organizing everything, kind of of like teaching, right. Um, learning from the players. Um, you know, figuring out how we want to attack a field, kind of, kind of organizing the path going into it, structuring practices, um, being a little bit of a team therapist as well. Of you know, we, you get a lot of um, elite paintball players um, that often are you know type A alpha type people at, at that high like pro level. Uh, or a mixture of, of just, and, and honestly, just a mixture of personality types. And, and a lot of it is me trying to help everyone mesh together and then also just helping make sure everyone's comfortable in the situation and able to bring to the field the best version of themselves. 
Um, a question I have there is on X Factor. Anyway, you have a lot of the top talent from across the country. Um, how are you, or what things are you doing? If if you have anything that you can share, um, in terms of player development, like are you are you helping these? Because uh, I know you mentioned the word teaching. Uh, are you you know working on improving you know the players that you do have, or are they pretty much just coming to you as they are? Well, so that's that's kind of a difficult. Um, it's per the player, right? You know, like I, there's not so much of me teaching Colt Roberts to, to play paintball anymore, but there's a lot of me having a different perspective than Colt and being able to be outside the net and you know have a 300 foot view to kind of put my perspective on top of what he's seeing behind the gun and putting together the best way to do something. Um, now, when we have a younger player come in to the program, um, there's definitely some more teaching moments, right? With Anthony, I had more teaching moments and some of the stuff uh, coming up. But I'll also say, like, um, working with someone like, you know, with Billy is, um, you know, Billy's really evolved his game over the past five, six seasons. Um, and that was a lot of me challenging him, right? And and that's because the snake position in paintball is a whole change where Billy uh, spent the first decade of his career as someone that was, you would run, you know, face first at the snake and dive in and start crawling point after point after point. So if you look at it, Billy played a whole decade where he didn't gun belt, gun battle somebody, but on his belly, you know, or from snake being the snake being. Um, so, you know, we had to work together, um, and, and, you know, to Billy's credit, you know, he's the one that did all the hard work, but like working on learning how to evolve his game, um, as a snake player to where now it's a lot of the layouts, like you're, you're running to the first bunker out and having to fight your way out. And so that, that's an ongoing learning process that, that he's really, you know, that's why his game, that's why he's one of the best now, because he's attack that and and done that but it's a lot of like those types of things um as far as like teaching moments too is that i'm the one that does the heavy lifting when it comes to like watching film and those types of things and so i have to um you know see what other players are doing what other teams are doing and and kind of um teach that to my team and get get them on the same page and those types of things and um, everyone does their own little piece and brings it all together. But for me, it's, uh, you know, that that's kind of a lot of it is just uh, doing a little bit of the extra work so the players can focus more so on their game and not on all the other things out there. Gotcha. There's definitely a lot there. And I know that um, you're not the only one doing it. I know you have help like from Alex, from uh, Dixon as well. Who? Uh, so how does that um, at least here, let's, let's phrase it at least, uh, in terms of, let's say you're at the event. Um, so when, when it comes down to being at the field, either on the field, or maybe you're getting ready for playing the next day, um, how do, how do those responsibilities break down in terms of how you prepare? So for me, um, like the, the, at the, there's two ways that, you know, to not give away too much, but like scouting at the field and scouting on go sports are both advantageous. Like they're both beneficial in their own ways. Um, and so Dixon handles a lot of the on-field scouting, like at, at the field. 
and I do a lot of some at the field, uh, a lot at night, uh, utilizing ghost sports. Um, and we kind of break it up that way. Um, and then also in the middle of a match, you know, often in our brackets, like we're playing a match at the same time as the other teams in our bracket are playing. So there's too much going on for me to try to scout that match and coach our game. So Dixon's picking up a lot of that. Um, during like breakouts, like I'm often watching the other team, Dixon's watching our team, you know, it's just, it's getting an extra set of, of trustworthy, knowledgeable eyeballs that you know that that person also knows what the hell they're talking about. So you can lean on it because things go fast, especially when you're like field level with the team on a breakout. Like I've had other people try to help and, and as like spot where people are going and I'll get the scout sheet and then I'll go back and like review it at night. And it's like 80% wrong. Um, and especially with these new big bunkers. So you got to know where to stand because you, you know, sometimes and, and actually understand the game too, because there's times where the whole Dorito side is blocked out from where we are, we're at. So you have to almost be able to read the other team's breakout to be able to um, infer where they actually went off the break until it actually, they become, they come into the line of sight. So that's kind of how we break things up there. Um, and, and just all, all sorts of stuff. Like there's like uh paint, which is honestly like, unf- I hate the fact that it is such a um, determining factor in, in the sport. Cause I just wish that was like a, Hey, you all use the same paintball and or whatever. It's just a uniform thing. It just, it isn't the case. Luckily we have a, a, a great, um, you know, GI has the most paint at the, and you know, they have, so we have so much great paint to choose from. Um, so I do feel we have an advantage there, but it's a lot of work for, for, for me to, um, how to maintain the paint, how to make sure we have the right paint. Um, it's very difficult to test paint during the tournament because you know, we're shooting. There's all, all sorts of things that that adds a whole nother layer of, of extra work I have to get done. But that is something that I don't really trust with other people uh, because it is such a, um, such a big part of it. Um, and also at the same time, like it just gives my players know how serious I take it and it gives them confidence that when they're out there, we're shooting the best thing that is available to us. So it's like, I don't want my guys like paints bouncing and they're like, we should have used another lot or the paints or any of that kind of stuff. Like I want them to be confident that if we're bouncing people, it's well, it's the best thing we could. So that's just not something that they're going to be dwelling on. Cause it's not really helpful. You know, it's not helpful for a thought when you want your guys thinking about things that are actually going to make them better or more prepared. If they're thinking about our paint, isn't as good as it could be should be be grabbed by a lot so i shoulder that that that's um a responsibility that uh, teams should take very seriously and how to maintain your paint all that kind of stuff but um it, it's something that um i would say it's a bit of a bane of my existence of having to uh be at the paint truck so much if you if you're looking to find me at a tournament i'm probably at the paint truck as much as i'm at in the bleachers so yeah, it's crazy just how much goes into winning a tournament. Uh, I know, mm-hmm. like for you, uh, and something that we learned from you was uh, the art of scouting a team. Which uh, now that uh, I've had, ex- you know, more and more experience on the tournament side, has played a bigger and bigger part in our game plan. So, tell me a little bit more about your coaching style. So, would you? Uh, say that you have like a specific style to how you coach or how you play call, or is it largely just based on how your roster is? Um, 
I think I have an advantage over uh, some coaches just uh, like the coaches that have a better teams, right? Like we're able to coach from, a, we have more room for error, right? Because, mm-hmm. and I, if I have something that's not um, working, I can get out of a bad uh, mathematical percentage to win a point scenario by just restarting it. And then I have a good team that I, I know that they can kind of bail me out of it. So that's an asset I have at my disposal. Um, but my coaching style, it's, it is very much, I would say my style is based on feel and analytics of what I think the other team is going to do. Um, and then I think it's, and that I think also makes us less scoutable because we're not calling plays, um, in it in any type of system or, or cadence of like we do this and it works so we do it again or stuff like i'm i'm constantly trying to predict what's going on on the other side of the field and and trying to be uh, as unpredictable as possible on our side and also set ourselves to um to shoot people off the break over there um and, and to get tells off the gate um all sorts of things so it's it's definitely like i'm I'm trying to be one step ahead. That's the way I look at coaching is that you you just want it's whoever gets that edge of having the other person kind of second guessing what they're doing and you kind of get to where they're they're start moving their pieces around um to try to get out alive and if you're able to um know them as a coach or and know the kind of decisions you can then um, predict, you know, how they're going to react and then if you can can um continue to be one step ahead that you can really get your team a huge advantage because it's i mean off the break is it's, it's just huge it really is it's just such a um, crucial part of the game and to me it's just my, my job is there to try to get my team advantage try to get them out alive and try to put them in a spot where they have a high likelihood that wherever they're shooting there's someone running that lane i mean all of those things that like scouting uh, breakouts trying to you know get tells or tendencies uh, and you know especially the paint and managing all of that all of those things translate to bodies and uh, anyone who has had you know had effective coaches or great coaches know that when all of those things add up that can you know that makes your job a whole lot easier when you're playing five on four or even five on three off the break uh, and just translate to so many more wins uh, so this next question comes to us from uh, Paintball Kumite, which is Colt Roberts' program. Uh, message him on Facebook or Instagram and mention in the pits for a free one-hour intro class. So as uh, a coach, what are some things that you do to improve your craft? And uh, do you have any advice that you can give to any like aspiring coaches that are out there? So improving my personal craft, uh, it, it comes on two things. It, it's about understanding doing the hard work and understanding the other teams and programs and it's also doing the hard work and and understanding um my players and also doing my best to remove my ego and being willing to um accept my own mistakes um my own um you know failures and learn from them so i can better myself as well um and kind of know that every single one of my ideas is never going to be the best idea, right? So I have to be able to kind of look at inward of my team and, and be open to other perspectives and, and concepts as well, even if I, you know, 
fully believe in one of my own. So those are kind of the things um, I think early on as a coach, I would, it, you know, it's weird. He's like, I feel like I was less confident when I first started, you know, naturally, but I also felt like I had to be more hard nosed and I was more stubborn in, in what I was trying to get done. Um, and then now that I'm very confident in what I'm doing, um, I'm able to kind of take a step back as well and, and be more open to, um, oh, criticism or, or even just like or self-criticism or, or outward and, and trying to make sure that I have the right plan, the best interest of what we're doing out there. Um, that's, you know, that's it, you know, as a, just as a, a player can, can make a, a bad play and cost your team the point or a match, like I can call a bad play and, and I have, right. And, and done the same. So I think once you can, you can do that. And I think some coaches probably don't take that perspective as far as they're just, if you lose, it was the player's fault. You had the plan they didn't execute. And, and that's just, in my opinion, incorrect. And so once you can shed that ego, you can be more effective. Got it. Uh, so, um, in addition to your, you know, all of your hats that you wear with X Factor, on top of that, you're also the co-owner of Project, which has um, very quickly risen to become one of the premier private labels in paintball for all sorts of products and goods. So started out with uh, soft goods like uh, this hoodie that I'm wearing. You've got some tech tees, barrel socks, uh, and uh, now joggers and headbands with a collab with Hormesis, and now all the way up to unique uh, millings on markers. And uh, a couple episodes ago, we heard from Archie and his experience with Project. Uh, tell us about your experience with starting this brand. Um. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's honestly, it's it's been amazing. Um, you know, I think we, right before COVID is kind of when things started to kind of, kind of really get there, you know, at the time I was officing, um, out of the same building with my company that, uh, that Archie was. And so we were spending a, a lot of time, you know, daily kind of like kicking around ideas, you know, and Archie had been, um, you know, for a long time, customizing some of his own guns. And it's it just, that's been something he's always wanted to do. And we both grew up in an era of where having your own flair, you know, was a thing and then coming up with new trends. And, you know, with BKIT, that's honestly how BKIT started was we would, um, um, back when those those five-man series of PAX PMI were going on, that we were a bunch of, a group of kids on a bunch of other teams and we would do things like, uh, I think one event, like, you know, there was probably 20 of us in BKIT mix around 10 different local teams. And, you know, just on the internet forum, like, let's wear like collared shirts under our jerseys. And so you go to this tournament and there's, you know, 200 people there, but 10 of us are wearing like a collar under our jersey that like says BKIT on it. And just, we would do these things, you know, we started a, um, you know, we're wearing uh, the bandana craze is something that, that we kind of started back then. We're all doing that. Um, you know, tall tees was, um, you know, there was a couple of guys in trauma doing that. But X Factor, we really kind of stuck and run with it. And then everyone was wearing ridiculous tall tees under the jerseys for, for years and years to come with stuff written on it. And that's the the writing came from from X Factor and the BKT squad. So uh, being kind of individuality and that kind of stuff was a big part of paintball back in the early 2000s. And then I think it happened probably the introduction of team sponsorship, um, mm -hmm. like uh, packages and that kind of stuff. 
like paintball got really standardized and then in the, in the 2008 recession a lot of the smaller companies went away and so then it was a lot of the big manufacturers and they weren't making as much of like smaller run small products so we were, we were looking at paintball and it was like very like cookie cutter of like this is a dye team and they all have the same blue dye stuff on head to toe and this is you know empire team and they all have the same yellow empire stuff head to toe and and so we were kind of seeing that there was kind of a hole for that and and something like we thought paintball had lost a little bit of its like skater lifestyle heart that would that was kind of what made it cool and appealing when we were growing up it, it lost its uh individuality and kind of a little bit of its swagger so um so in that office space and, and right before covid you know galena we were really you know you know started to design the project g um you know paintball got it having conversations of what to do and going back and forth and you know archie's the one uh, of the two of us that really kind of was like you know what's through this design this is the way to do it I mean, you know he pushed through that project that that product that project and that was you know really successful and at the same time for years i kind of had this concept that it's kind of funny but i wanted to make uh, a high-end headband company and i probably had been pitching this idea to to friends since like 2018 2017 and the whole concept was it was going to be like no branding i was going to pay certain pro players to wear it um and not announce anything with it and then all the top pros are wearing the same headband and then like a year into it i was going to announce what it was um and then around you know that had shifted a little bit and then um me and archie were staying at my lake house and then uh one morning i woke up and you know i was just on my phone i took a shower and then there was uh the first hormesis drop and i was already like in this like hey the next thing we're gonna do is these headbands and like i'm looking i go to archie i'm like well it, you know they ouch and oliver just fucking crushed it and i was just like well we're gonna have to pivot what the next product's gonna be because <laughs> i don't want to jump into this uh, and it was just kind of funny that i think uh, me and archie and alex and oliver at the same kind of time were, were thinking the same way and both because you know they're, they they've been playing a few years longer than us but like that the team the sport needed this this new um you know swagger behind it um so from there you know we shifted away from headbands um into our own thing we started making long sleeves um you know and and then you know we started making a tanks barrels uh more guns just all sorts of stuff you know sweatshirts like we we really like to where we're at that we can work with a bunch of different manufacturers and put our own twist on products right and and kind of go in like where we have a lot of fun is in the design phase, you know, so it's like even um, getting to work with anodizers right now and just getting the getting our hands into put our little uh, small touches on a design um, to make it just a little bit more individual. And that's why we keep things really small and limited run, too, because we don't want someone we want when someone buys something like, you know, you're wearing um, that that, uh, you know, hoodie you're wearing right now mm-hmm. um i think only there's only 80 of them you know made right and there will only ever be 80 of them and we want some like someone to buy something from us and, and know that hey there's the only 30 of these are made only 60 of these are made and and be able to kind of cherish that it's like um you know something that they have and it's cool and you don't want to just 
toss it aside and forget about it because uh, not only is it a limited thing that's not going to be made again, but more often than not, you had to get online and um, you know fight with a couple hundred other people to be have a chance to actually purchase it. Um, and, and a lot of our products, you know, um, they hold retain a, a value that I think is really cool. That you know, who, people that were um, first supported us and, and bought a Project G and in you know back in uh, 2020, I think when we got them, maybe 2021, um, and have used that thing ever since. And they bought it from us for 17.50, I think is what we the initial one sold for. Well, that gun's worth 2,400 dollars now or more um, with, you know, 100,000 shots on it. So being able to kind of be in this ecosystem with our customers to where we've kind of curated, um, um, you know, the quantities we take, we're really, that's where we have a lot of intent in that, that we want our stuff to, our customers to not only be able to, something that they want to use and they want to like cherish, but also like, Hell, if they can have something that retains value and they make some money down the road too, like that's a win-win for me. It's funny that you brought up that story with how Hormesis kind of got started right when you're trying to come up with this exact same idea. I'm well, similar idea anyway. Um, and I'm thinking back to this like 2017, 2018, 2019, um, kind of the state of the paintball scene. And you're seeing all of these team packages where, Hey, if you get a team package, everything's black. Everything's just plain mm-hmm. black. And then you're seeing even a lot of teams where they don't even have their last names and their jersey numbers on their back. It's just the team logo and that's it. There's no individuality. There's no flair. It's, I mean, sure, it's great for you know promoting the team identity, but uh, there's there's no room for like individualism there. And seeing how you know that that kind of gave way for all of these different companies now. And it's not just project. It's not just Hormesis. I mean, you also have like uh, Kyle Spica and mouse have Tigerware. You've got all of these other headband companies that have, you know, like these, these smaller, uh, more local uh, manufacturers that are doing their own thing. And uh, suddenly, you know, there's a lot more people just, kind of showing off their own style and their own flair. And it's really great to see like that brought back into the scene because I mean, the sports called paintball, we're shooting at each other with these, you know, these blobs full of paint and why are we wanting everything to just be plain black on black? Like that makes no sense to me at all, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. Right. And I feel like it kind of got pushed that way and, and just, it got lost a little bit. I mean, I, it's funny enough, you know, with Bunkerfest coming back, um, the coolest thing in the whole era of, of early 2000s Texas paintball like had to be the Bunkerfest, like North versus South All-Star game. And, and specifically the, the first one, because it was mostly all Texas players. The second one got a lot of pros came in. It was a little, little funky. So that was at Bunkerfest 2 and the, the North versus South game. And I saw a picture of it recently, and like we're all there, this big lineup. And I forgot the rosters are probably like twelve on twelve, and like I look ridiculous because I have a a bright pink like cowboy bandana and a bright pink headband on. But the only reason I have that is because like like amongst my the other BKT guys, like the other colors were like chosen at the time. Like it wasn't like oh like you have this dope headband and. Uh, that's tight. I want that too. It was literally like, 
all right, like how can I stand out on the field? And that was just the norm. And so I look at this this photo and I, I cringe because I look ridiculous. But at the same time, like that's at the time, like everyone was like, that's dope. Like you're the pink guy, you know, and I think that's uh, some of that's coming back in the sport. Um, so it, it's just um, and I hope, you know, while, like I think I hope Bunker Pass at some point as it grows, brings back that North or South all-star game because that that honestly was like the most intense like crazy match where i mean i i think it was saturday afternoon but every single person that played that tournament stayed for that match and just hundreds of people no bleacher like no bleachers so just standing 20 people deep all the way around this this thing screaming and yelling and it was just kind of like almost playing in like a world cup type atmosphere but at bunker fest so i think it's i think you could get that again where if you you did dallas first houston and or dallas first you know dallas and houston versus san antonio and austin or something like that like you could really get a, a pretty awesome match with a lot of really good pinball players because um back then the only pro players there were i think colt rich gerald um and at the time, like if that was it on the field, I don't even know if Colt was playing pro at the time. He probably no, he wasn't playing on Storm. And then Dave Baines was playing in and Max Lundquist. Like each each team got one pro that was there. Um, but nowadays, like hell, it'd probably be all pros. We would probably need to make a rule to where you could only have X amount, so you could give some up and coming mm. pro, like players an opportunity. But that's something that I hope Chris looks into because um, that's. To me, like the one of the coolest moments in Texas paintball. Like I still have my um, jersey. I still have the trophy somewhere, um, and it, it's something that um, he should bring back because it, it was cool. I can tell you, it's been heavily requested, uh, and he's definitely okay. he's definitely trying to figure out how to bring it back. Uh, eventually, I don't know if it'll be in for this first event or even this first year, but it's mm-hmm. been an often requested thing, and I, I mean, I'd be down. Like it, that sounds like a great uh, time, sure. you know? So, mm-hmm. um, with the project brand, what are some, what have been some goals that you've been wanting to achieve or maybe that you've already achieved and do you, like, what are some more goals that you have for the future? Um, I would say, I mean, we we're achieving goals. It seems almost like monthly now, I think for, for us, it's like, it's doing more, but staying true to ourselves. Right. And so that, that takes. You know, at first we would have a couple, like we'd do a long sleeve and then it'd be a couple months we would do another thing. Um, and it's, but at the same time we would have like, you know, 80 t-shirts available and then all of a sudden like there's 400 people trying to buy 80 t-shirts and it's like, well, that's sweet because it sells out in a second, but now I have 300 and something people that, that didn't get what they wanted. Um, but at the same time, I don't want to sell 400 t-shirts because it's no longer unique and kind of the stuff I spoke on earlier. So the way to kind of rectify that is we, we wanted to ramp up the amount we're like drops are doing of offering more products more frequently um, to help kind of grow and get more people, you know, part of this kind of ecosystem that we're, we're shooting for um, in this community. So we're hitting that goal because it, it does seem like we're doing uh, a lot more, more frequently. So like we, I've been doing stuff, you know, we have, you know, a lot of stuff in the can right now to where we almost, uh, the, the, I, it was just us working harder, right. To get it all. But like, I got my, uh, we have like three 
we have drops ready to go i guess the best way for the longest time we were waiting for something to come in to be able to do it so we're now like i got uh, we got a garage full of different things that we can do at any moment we're just kind of waiting for the right time to, to time it correctly so that's a goal that we've, we've achieved right of, of being able to not be waiting so much and being able to create more um a goal of to work with multiple manufacturers and not be um a brand that's just like they just make this stuff you know or they just make that stuff um you know that's great um we have a goal of manufacturing more of our own stuff right so we're not um you know be able to kind of do that and and down the road we'd like to get there um but we, it's also a fine line because i don't want to get in direct competition with people we're partnering with um because that to me is like a big part of the enjoyment of taking what we think is some of the best products um and being able to collaborate with them right um and you know i don't know how this will go or whatever but if we just start making a bunch of our own stuff you know some of those other people might say hey like i don't want you making a project version of our product because you're taking business from us over here so um so it, it's tough right to, to balance that because it is to us like we really do like the collaborative process so we'll see how it goes but i like the company to continue to grow uh, but i the i guess my biggest goal moving forward is to continue to grow the company without losing um what it means to us and to our customers to, to continue to make the right decisions to continue to not um Chase money rather than what the brand is and what it means to us. You know, every time we do a drop now, you know, on Shopify it says, you know, what was left behind in the shopping cart, right? So it's like, you know, you sold this much. You know, often we'll say something like, you sold twenty thousand dollars, and seventy-eight thousand dollars were left behind in, in the shopping cart, right? So that means that we could have sold a hundred thousand that day if we had quantities to do that. Um, so that always is someone who's, you know, been involved in business for, for, you know, over a decade now, um, it's kind of like, oh, that's a terrible business decision. Why am I not getting the 90 grand when I could? Uh, but at the same time, it's, it's staying true to what we think the brand is and what we want it to be. Cause yeah, we could make the $90,000 that one time and then I could make it the next time, but I believe we'll lose what we stand for what we are our identity in that process and then you know, things will start to fade and that the real thing for us is like um, wanting to hold the identity of what project is and what the individuality and, and kind of what it is so that's my biggest goal to grow without losing our identity well uh, it's it's fun to see all of these different drops coming on i mean just every time i check the project website it seems like there's uh new stuff on the sold out page that I, uh, never quite am lucky enough to get my hands on for, for some of it. But, uh, there's a lot more like diversity I'm seeing in the, in the products. Like I remember it was for a while, it was really just that long sleeve and then just the original run of project G's. And now it's, you can almost, I mean, you actually can just outfit yourself entirely, uh, you know, minus like some of the soft goods stuff with, just project gear i mean you've got the air tanks you've got markers uh you've got um you know the headbands the the pants uh and you've got pod packs as well so uh, it's cool to see more and more of like the different kinds yeah. of products coming out so do you have like anything 
upcoming on the horizon for projects. So uh, obviously we've we've been uh, we've heard news about markers in store for next year. But do you have any things that you can hint towards? Yeah, um, a couple things. Um, I think up next is uh, we did our hoodie release um, maybe a month ago, a couple weeks ago, and it honestly did extremely well and it was one of these little things of regret of like we didn't know how well it was going to do and so many people weren't able to get one and and we're trying to rectify it and the design we really like so we kind of went back and like how do we how do we do this um quickly enough too and so we just figured out like well we can do different colors of the same hoodies right um and not really kind of lose what making someone's purchase less um you know, important. So I think the next thing I just picked them up today. So like we have um, new hoodie, hoodies. I think this will come out next week, but I think we have like four or five like different colors of these guys. And then I think another cool thing is that we have these like these are going to come on them now. I think it's probably hard to see, but they're like kind of a, a PVC mm-hmm. that probably like project logos and that. So uh, the hoodies are coming next on the kind of like a small, small side. Um, we have new powerhouse rags that are like really really cool um that um, we're kind of um working on they just need to be anodized um to go and those there's not going to be a lot of them and they're like they're not like anything you've really seen i think maybe closest to like the infamous um skull daddy rag and so they're they're and it's something we've been it was the initial reg we wanted to do before the grenade reg that we did recently and it was our first design, but it was so difficult to bring to life that the other one got made first. Um, but, um, you know, Carl over at Powerhouse, he, he figured it out. And so we're really stoked on that. Um, so that that's kind of the next kind of like pretty cool one. And then um, we have some milled markers in the works. We have designs completed on three different platforms. Um, and I will say that one of them we're hoping all three get made in 2023 um but at a minimum one is going to get made like yeah and i would say i'm fairly confident all three might get made but um you know with delays and supply chains and all the stuff it's really hard to uh uh confirm things these days but i am uh one is going to get made and uh the i've seen the the renders, all that kind of stuff, as far as like our design being brought to life, and it's it's cool. It, like people are gonna be really really excited for it. So that's gonna be um, coming out. And before that, we've done this little thing. Um, if you're familiar with our, 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 especially our Project G release, and even like the the TM40 release, like um, they're they're really hard to get, and, and the Project G especially. Um, and this next release is gonna be um, probably on the similar lines of, of the Project G and um, so what we did is that we wanted to kind of um, do some cool things um, to give people access to kind of lock in um, first right to to buy this next milled marker. And um, so we, we've done some cool anodized guns. Like me and Archie really kind of fell in love with like the anodizing process in the world. It's just like it's beautiful art. And, and there's so many really talented people in our industry that, that do it. Um, so it's been really cool to like work with these different companies with with ARC and Outlaw and Aesthetic. Um, and we, um, so we, we've been selling some of these really cool, like anodized guns recently. 
Um, and what we did with that is that we said, hey, we're going to take 35. So our next run of project milled markers is going to be a limited run of 200, so 200 only. So what we did was like, hey, we're going to do 35. We're going to sell 35 guns um, of like anodized guns and stuff. And if you get a hold of one of these anodized guns, you will guarantee your right to purchase, um, get in line for one of these 200 milled markers. Um, so, so far we've done the majority of those, um, you know, with some different, we did anodized LV2s, tonight we did the anodized um, TM40s. Um, but what we have left is that there's 10 more spots and we have 10 um, screen printed LV2s, like a, um, it's a project print, like a, a PGA Anno um, on, a, on 10 of them. And we have them in hand. Um, and so those will qualify for the last 10 spots to lock in for the milled marker, 10 of the 35. Um, and we'll probably sell those here uh, in a week or two, you know, sometimes like we have them in hand. Um, and so they're pretty cool. Like they're, it's a, it's a design that um, I don't think people have done before. Um, Nick Laval created it as far as it's, there's two sides of, of the marker. There's the left half and the right, and it's kind of a duality type of design. So we're not nice, excited to show that off, but, those will also count for the last 10 spots. So it's a one of 10 gun and it's going to be one of the last spots. So that's, that's probably the big one coming up that I think people are going to be fighting over. Well, uh, that sounds like a lot of great things are, uh, on the horizon for 2023 for project. Uh, it's been awesome to see like, uh, especially the, the project milled stuff. Like I, I think all the time I'm seeing lots of these, uh, different like project G's and project TM forties, uh, just, m- making their appearances on the field and now you're going to be adding lv2s and uh some other platforms as well for next year is going to be great to see uh so uh this next question is uh sponsored by fu athletics my buddy thomas who's also on the titans uh go to the fuathletics.com use code in the pits 25 for 25 percent off your order um so looking at your career up to now uh in paintball and that could be playing coaching with project anything what has been your single favorite moment in your career um so i'll I'll give you both and and i think you know i I guess i i i said the same thing on a uh, another interview but i guess Mm. to be honest it's good it's got to be the same story right you know it's it's my favorite moment so um as a player it was uh 2007 huntington beach finals uh against aftermath um and that's and I actually like if anyone wants to watch those there's it's a best of three so there's two games they're on my Instagram account I think I posted them you know sometime in the past couple of years and I don't post often on Instagram so you can go by and it's it's shoddy video it, it's you know the, what we had at the time but you can watch those two two matches and they were just super uh, Huntington Beach which is a really special event um, it, it, I would, it's most similar to what World Cup is now. Um, and to be in the finals on the center court um, and, and playing those, it's it's just, you know, stadium, you know, three-sided stadium seatings. Like, you can see it if you go to my Instagram, watch the videos. That the, the bleachers are just massive with people. And they had open, you know, you didn't have to play the event, you know, the foot traffic, surfers everywhere, all that kind of stuff. So that was my favorite player as a moment. Both of those games kind of came down to the wire. Uh, to win that tournament, you know, in San Diego against Aftermath, with the, the the majority of the crowd rooting against us was kind of just a surreal moment. Um, so as a player, that was that. And as a coach, um, you know, winning World Cup in 2013 is always going to be 
one of those those big moments um, that I'll never forget. But it was actually breaking through in 2019 in Philly is probably the one that um, I think for me um, was the most memorable and kind of biggest moment. And I think that's a little bit because, um, you know, when we won World Cup in 2013, you know, I, I came back, you know, we had, you know, in 2011, I coached and, and we had this kind of this like, you know, okay, mediocre year. But in 2012, you know, we were competitive. We won a seven man event. Um, and, you know, we go into 2013, you know, we won Huntington Beach, you know, that year, like one of the last Huntington Beach and then we won World Cup. So, you know, that, you know, I had only been coaching for so long and had a fair amount of success early on. Um, but then the drought from 2013 to 2019, you know, I, I think that was a full, you know, drought of, of mm. so many third places and second places and, and so much heartbreak uh, in that timeline to finally break through um, in 2019 was just like um, this monkey off my back and this kind of this, um, it just made it all. I think the, in this sport, the grind and the learning lessons from losing, and that's where the real beauty really lies. And, and the fact that it's, it's so difficult and especially at the pro level, because so few teams win. And I'm sure there's people like, um, you know, like dynasty, um, you know, those guys have been winning since the jump. So they, I'm sure they have a, a, a different perspective um, from, from some other teams. So where you know, it's just, it's just, it's different from them or a lot of the heat guys and those, those types of franchises. But, um, you know, I'm sure damage experiences a little bit this year, but after a drought for so long and, and, and so much heartbreak to finally break through, like it was a, a euphoric moment to, to say the least. And then obviously to do it again, the very next tournament, um, it was just kind of a, an amazing thing. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, crazy whenever, uh, you have teams in the pro division that go on these massive runs, like dynasties run the last two years, uh, y'all's run in 2019 was awesome to see, but like even during those runs, you've got like pockets of where, you know, a team comes out of nowhere, like the Ironman, uh, winning an event, uh, in Vegas of 2020, uh, mm-hmm. them coming up and winning that. And then, uh, Ironman making, I mean, I know they didn't win the event, but they made the finals in, I think it was in Sacramento this year. So you've got, uh, like it's already tough enough to win a tournament, but then to go on and win several over a short span is, uh, it's truly special. And I'm wondering like, how long is this dynasty run going to last? Cause I know there's a lot of teams that are very, very hungry to uh, knock them off their throne. I'm sure damage is, um, is pretty close. I mean, winning, winning in, uh, in Dallas this year. Uh, and then of course, you know, everybody else trying to, trying to get there. Like, uh, it's, and it makes it like even more crazy just to look back at the teams that have had these runs, like, uh, like Dynasty's current run, like Impact's run a couple of years ago where they won, you know, a whole slew of tournaments within like a three-year span. Uh, and I'm wondering, like, it, are things like that going to keep happening or uh, is it is it going to be like more evenly spread out as we go on and as more and more talent gets fed into the league? Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, our sport has always been in these kind of pockets of, 
of runs or, or just you know a couple of teams going back and forth at, at times. It's, it's it, but it's it's just kind of been that way, you know. You, you know, with Dynasty and and then the Russians and then Impact and then, um, you know, you know, you know, we had our little short-lived one and there's all these little things and it's one of these. Um, I feel like it's very tight and competitive right now, and I think it just takes sometimes the confidence of winning and things kind of going your way a little bit for whatever reason. Things start rolling your, your direction, and the momentum in it allows you to kind of compete. But you know, even like when Impact was going on that run, you know, Pete was right on their shoulders, and they were trading off for a while, right? And I think we'll probably see something more similar to that. But right now, I feel like there's you know, Impact's always going to be competitive, and Dynasty's going to continue to be competitive. And Heat, I think, is... Um, it, I, I think a lot of it will, will kind of go on um, how well Connor Kelly, I think that kid has a lot of potential. I think they're, they're one piece away from, like, to, to be a very, very like a competitive team, and not that they're not, I think they finished second in the series. I just feel like some, certain teams are maybe a little bit deeper than they are. Um, so right now, Heat is reliant on a lot of their guys playing really well and no one getting injured. So as they add depth, uh, they're going to be up there. Um, I think Damage is um, a team that they just needed a. Uh, some momentum as well. You know, they're in that long run. They get the win. Their ego takes over. You know, they get they go one and three and uh Chicago. They get checked. They come back and they have a really good World Cup. Um it just but I think it honestly like my perspective, I'm looking at them right now and I think I think that team, their ego is probably their big their biggest uh challenge, right? So I think they they, they kind of have this ebb and flow to them as stuff and, and then honestly I, I think our team is 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 really very much right there as far as um just not even like trying to just it's my team we're, we're of course we're in this competitive zone it's like you look at you know we we had our run and then in you know i think we right now it's kind of like we get left out a lot of the uh conversations of, of the big teams and stuff often and um, it's just like, you know, 2019, you know, we were, we were the best team and then 2020, you know, there's only two tournaments and then we lost in the finals of world cup to a, like kind of a, a fluke of, uh, Jesse core sampling in the finals, mm-hmm. you know, we're up on bodies in overtime and in the finals. Like, so we very well could have won that tournament and, and Archie didn't play that event. He was injured. Um, and then 2021, um, as uh, you know, we had a, a pretty decent year and then yeah, we were in the finals in Chicago and then then in the finals at World Cup again and that was the finals that we were winning up points, you know, about to go up three points, had a team kill, you know, changed the momentum of the whole thing. And I think that I don't know if that came down to overtime or not, or I can't recall, but um it was a back and forth match. So it's like that. And then from and then that's you know we lose Archie you know we, we try to figure out the roster we don't really have it you know figured out at the early uh, onset of last year um, you know first event we get this kind of ridiculous bracket because the Saints are a fifth tier team mm-hmm. um, so we have Dynasty and Saints in our bracket um, 
and we're still trying to figure things out. You know, losing Archie is a huge piece. So we have a bad tournament and miss the cut, and then that gets us in a bracket for the next event where we have Dynasty, Damage, Infamous, uh, and I think maybe Diesel. So we get another just like ridiculous bracket to where we all go two and two. And we missed the cut on a one-point tiebreaker. And so does us, Dynasty, Damage, we're all tied at 2-2. Two and two, And Damage made it on a one-point tiebreaker. And it's one of these things that they go on to win the tournament. And people go on to be like, oh, Dynasty can't play blind layouts. And X-Factor was terrible at the beginning of the year. But we were all tied. You know, you mm-hmm. could say all three of us could have won that tournament. And so that's the beginning of last year. And then from there, it's just, you know, a third place fourth place and a, a, a match we really blew against the um against uh ironman you know we should have been in the final it was just it was poorly coached poorly executed um and then you go you know impact the the fifth event where we beat them in the prelims they beat us in a really close game in the quarters and then world cup was was honestly a a, a heartbreaker that i feel like that's a tournament that we were uh, destined to perform very well at, and that we were just handling it like I don't, our plus minus was extremely good we were we had lost very few points we were running two lines the whole time um you know we went our first game on sunday and and you know kind of in absolute control i don't know if we won by five or whatever it was and mm. you go on and play heat and it's just a freak show of a match where the first point was a full 16 minutes and a, a two on two um and that was just you don't see that right like it just it's a zero zero going into overtime and um you know i i called a play out of the bag of tricks that uh, honestly was potentially what would have been a defining moment of my coaching career of just uh on a field that was impossible to go to the snake um yeah i wouldn't say impossible but the probability was very slim that we went to their side of the field and snake off the break in overtime um but colt's gun you know malfunctioned off the break and goes on their side and then um and then you know but we still break out works you know make the snake off the break get up a body four on three billy crawls down comes up um you know there's videos of it but in slow motion that are pretty actually fascinating to watch but billy bounces uh ronnie two or three times from you know, 50 snake to the tower in a, in a tournament where we had really good paint and did not bounce people uh, very often at all. And so what should have been a four on two in overtime um, to move on just turned into a, a staled out four on three. And at the end of the tournament, you know, at the end of that clock, you know, it looked like it was probably a one-on-one. Um, we tried to make a play to win it up on bodies. And um, Ryan uh, Moorhead at the same time made a play down on bodies was was just a um a, one of the better plays i've ever seen to, to steal that match from us before it went to one-on-ones so and that's how our world cup ended so to me you know our team is is very competitive and right there on the cusp of 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 winning and so you know so those five the, that's five teams i mentioned that could win any tournament um, and I truly believe that. And then, then, then that's not to discredit the other 15 teams in the league that, that is also getting extremely competitive. So I don't know if I see a team going on a run. I just, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be competitive. 
Absolutely. It's, it's gone from, I mean, at when the league expanded to 20 teams, uh, those four teams that were brought in, uh, were New York extreme Scottsdale elevation. Uh, I think it wasn't aftermath. Uh, the ML Kings were an expansion team and then there, um, there was one more team in there that I can't remember, but I, I don't think they're around anymore. Maybe they merge with level or something like that. Um, Oh, it was level. But it was level. Okay. Um, so those teams, then, like, it for a little while, it seemed like the league was like a top nine, top 10, top 11, and then there was like the bottom rest of the teams. But now it's like a top 17, top 18, and bottom two or three. And like anybody yeah, can take games it's off weird. of each other. Anybody can take games off of each other. I think the real thing was. It's hard to, there's still a separation that I think some people forget about because, you know, people like, oh, you know, Revo could win a tournament, you know, that level could be win a tournament. But there's a big, there's a separation of winning in the quarterfinals and winning in the semis. And then there's a whole nother thing of winning in the finals that you often, I don't know how many teams have won in their first final. Now, I know, like, as X-Factor, we lost our first final, and then the next event, we won a final. Um, and so it's when people are, you know, saying, you know, LVL could win any tournament, I think they're they're doing a good job. And while they could, I think there's still a separation of teams that know how to win. And that's a, that's a big um, a big separation, I think. You know, I think, look at us, you know, it's like even we've been in our last two or three finals, you know, like we've, you know, the last three finals, we've lost them all. You know, like it's it's very difficult to to know how to win. And if you match up with Dynasty in the finals right now, you know, and it's 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 a tall task. Like it's a different, it's much different to win a finals match than to win a game. There's just it's it is it just there's there's other elements and there's a lot of elements that people don't even realize as far as um, how much louder it is in a final. Um, in the pro league. 90% of our matches are um, slip deck. So how to, what changes when you're playing a full single deck match? There's all these um, different things to where I think as far as, I think it's a stretch to say that any team can win or these 16 teams can win. I really do think it right now, only five teams really have a chance to win. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's teams that have a, a, that can compete and can become finals teams. Um, and then one day, they could win and I could be completely wrong, but it is a tall order to go win in a final when you haven't been in one in your career. For sure. I mean, uh, look at the, uh, I mean, the Ironman made the finals this year and then uh, I think it was something that, um, possibly Trent said, uh, that, you know, they just kind of let them, you know, it was their first time in this final situation and it just kind of got the better of them. But now that they've been in that situation, that younger roster, uh, they'll be more ready for it. Um, but yeah, they'll be more ready, but they also did it in a minor. And so a mm-hmm. lot of those things I talked about, like the crowd noise and all that kind of stuff, um, that, that's something that they will need to learn. Uh, and then the other one is I would be shocked if, anyone wins a world cup final before playing one before because that is a completely different game of paintball um that is playing paintball and removing communication often and that's that you you can't communicate out there 
Um, so it, a lot of it, like, it's kind of funny. The most important game of the year is almost a, a crapshoot crap of people like throwing haymakers at each other, you know, and like audibles that our team relies on a lot off the break. I can't get those to my team. You know, there's all these things that like you, you, you're up for the, the most important uh, game of the year. And then a lot of it is just out the, it's just out the, out the freaking door. And you have to have a different strategy going into it and you have to learn how to do it um, because it's, it's, it's different. You'll see a lot more counter punching, a lot more just absolutely how to thrive in the chaos. And that's why you see players like Greenspan um, and some of these guys really excel in those World Cup finals. And it's because they um, they can they understand the processing is quicker and they can um, manipulate the meta of how a field should play and how to quickly do it and thrive in the chaos. It's even more crazy that they mercy the finals, like they've mercy their last two finals matches, and then they also mercy the semifinals match against Heat. Um, yeah. So like just the fact that that roster is able to mercy the best teams in the world damage heat uh you know even at the even in chicago mercying in the finals so um yeah it's it's uh i can't imagine trying to go up against a team like dynasty especially in the finals at world cup which uh y'all have matched up in the finals a couple of times now uh so just having that gargantuan of a task i mean uh i guess for damage winning in Dallas, uh, it's probably a little bit of a relief that, you know, yeah, they had to go up against Impact, who is, you know, also no stranger to winning uh, finals matches. But uh, it seems like Dynasty is just something else right now. Yeah, they, they got a, they got the momentum and they, they believe. And that's that's a lot of it. And, and if there is that, if that uh, Dynasty magic does exist. Um, I, I I'm not in a position to say that, that that's all fugazi um, because there there definitely seems to be shit rolling their way more often than not. Mm-hmm. For sure. Uh, real quick, anybody who's with us in the chat, uh, if you have something that you'd like to ask Ryan, go ahead and get your questions in the chat. Now we'll get to them here in just a second. Uh, so Ryan, you gave us a pretty good recap. Uh, of the year. Uh, one thing that I did want to ask you about, though, was uh, this question about kind of your roster size throughout the year. Uh, so to start out the year, you did lose Archie, but then you also made several acquisitions. You picked up or you more solidified Tom Guest. You added LJ Parrish. You added Sean Sacedo. You added Anthony Bowles. And then Cody Bayless was coming back from being healthy. So you started out the year in Florida with a 12-man roster, which is much larger than you're usually running. Uh, how did having all of those extra bodies change how you did things? Um, it sucked, in short. Um, and how it happened was we had a lot of it, like both in 2021, like TJ Danner didn't play very much because mm-hmm. he, he was coming off that multiple year injury. And then Rainey was also, you know, had his back issues and didn't even know if he was going to play in 2022. And so we were having to kind of, and, and Cody had been injured and we weren't sure how Cody was going to be. And we weren't expecting Cody to be ready. So the team, you know, we, uh, Shorty and Anthony played the end of 2021 with us, and in so we're and we're not going to just get rid of those guys, right? Um, they they did well, 
And so we carry them over, but then all of a sudden we have all these guys coming back healthy from injury. We have Rainey's ready to go all of a sudden. TJ's ready to go. Cody's back. And obviously we picked up LJ um, to kind of replace, you know, some of what we're, we're losing with Archie. And we have all these guys, and it just became very difficult when you have a lot of good players, um, how to get people in a rhythm and, and on the field. And, you know, my hat's off the dynasty because, you know, they're, they're managing a similar size roster. Um, but I think they do have more separation and some, you know, they have some more role players, right? Young guys and stuff like that. Like they, they, they're able to kind of narrow it down pretty quick and they, they stick to it. But as a coach, it's, it's difficult to have that many people to get people in a rhythm. Um, but then, you know, um, you know, we start, Doing some, you know, Jesse takes his break to, to focus on career. We got, you know, um, Colt, you know, it's really going to Philly where, you know, I, I, I had, I, Shorty, um, because of my relationship with Infamous, um, Shorty's a great guy and a great player. We just didn't have a lot of room for him at the time. And I didn't like watching him kind of sit on the bench and, you know, not get the spins he, he deserves. So, you know, I kind of somewhat brokered a, a, a relationship deal that, to let Shorty go play and start with Infamous. Um, and so we moved him on. And then, you know, you know, Anthony's going into his career. And so it wasn't really um, his focus wasn't able to be strictly on paintball. So, you know, Anthony kind of, you know, you know, was whatever that that situation happened. Jesse on his break. So and then all of a sudden, um, you know, Colt. It's COVID right before the tournament and practice on Thursday, Cody tears his hamstring and all of a sudden I'm looking at it and we got five players and I had just spent the previous, you know, two months thinning the roster after the first two events. And I'm like, Oh, did I just make a, a big error in judgment? Um, you know, to, to go, I went too far the, the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just like, you know, and Tom Guest couldn't play that tournament either. He was, that was a tournament on the schedule. He couldn't play. So we went from 12 players to, to five really quickly. Um, but luckily, you know, the team band together, they played a, um, a form of paintball to where you can go far, but you can't win in my opinion. And I think that's where it kind of fizzled out in the semifinals for the squad. Um, similar, to what I thought happened to AC Dallas throughout the, the original AC Dallas, like throughout the, mm-hmm. the end of the, their entirety of their, their, um, you know, run as a, a pro team of, they ran too few guys. You can go far with, with five guys because you're getting all the reps, and all that stuff, but you will fizzle based on becoming too scoutable because you get in a rhythm and you're too, um, um, your energy is so much in turning points to really understand how to break that rhythm. Uh, and you just kind of gas out. So that's what happens to us in Philly. And then, um, you know, after that, we, we get our squad back to a, a healthy number for Chicago and World Cup, where I think we had, our, and in Sacramento, I think we had maybe, you know, nine, 10 is what I want, right? So we, mm-hmm. we in the rest of the season, we kind of carried that. Um, in Sacramento, in Chicago, we did things differently, where we, we had our nine, 10, but we really focused on, um, playing a, few, a smaller roster, um, and you know we got the results we got. I, at World Cup, we ran pretty much two lines the entire the event, and we were having a lot of success. You know whether that would have continued on if we would have you know continued and that heat overtime point you know went our way. Um, 
I don't know, but I felt that was the best we've ever where we had the entire team playing great um, and able to to really um, keep everyone really rested with what we were preparing to be a deep run. So we thought we were going to have to play four or five games on Sunday to win that tournament. So we just kind of knew from that we wanted to run a, a more guys and run a little bit deeper. Yeah, and that Philly, uh, not to mention, like, you weren't there either. So uh, that run that those yeah. guys did, had was uh, just was really good paintball from that really small roster. For sure, yeah. I, um, I, I watched more tape in the hospital holding a uh, one-day-old baby in that tournament mm-hmm. than uh, I've ever watched tape in, in my life. So luckily, uh, if everyone's gone through the process of having a child, they, they sleep you know, three days straight for the most part in, in the, the hospital. So I did nothing but, but watch paintball. So I, I still have, I fall asleep at night and have dreams of the Philly, Philly layout and all this <laughs> stuff. So for me, it was, it was part of that regret of like, did I just screw up by thinning this roster to where we only have five players now and I'm not even there to help. So mm-hmm. part of that was like, all right, I'm going to help as much as I can from this hospital bed. And all the nurses in this hospital probably think I'm a weird psychopath because they saw me, uh, up all hours of the night with a uh, uh, my laptop and like 200 pages of paper uh, of layouts scouting out, which my wife actually went into labor as I was at um, the uh, FedEx getting my layouts. So it, the only good thing I had is I actually got my 200 layouts mm-hmm. right before she went into labor. So it worked out. And that's just a, that's a hell of a situation right there. Um, yeah. But hopefully, hopefully the uh, future events will be that chaotic and uh with the roster sizes i mean i know uh rainy heading over to damage but then you uh made a huge pickup with cody mikowski so um tell me a little bit more about like x factor where they kind of sit now and what uh what we're looking at in the near future either uh it are there any more changes or additions coming as far as you know uh personnel or even things like sponsorship agreements things like that um, the, the team where we have, it's kind of like we're returning the team, you know, Rainey won't be with us, but the code will. And I think as, you know, I think Rainey is, you know, I don't think anyone has to go to, to say he's not, you know, one of the best players in the league, but, um, I think Cody, you know, so of course we lose something by losing Rainey, but I think Cody is, we're gaining something that we were deficient at, um, as a little bit of some more field general, um, someone that's um, another elite off the brick shooter, elite gunfighter. I think he just makes us a little bit more deficient. To, it, it rounds us out a bit more, right? Where I think we're, you know, you're not gonna, you know, there's not there's not a bunch of Rainies, right? So you're not gonna sit there like, oh, we lost Rainy, let me replace Rainy with. I look around, and it's like with with Rainy. Um, so it's not uh, one of those. But I think what what we have is um, a very dangerous situation to where now i can put cody and, and tj and colt uh, on the field as as gunfighting pillars and then i'm able to mix in billy meter lj jesse you know all sorts of people as as just weapon and then i have tom that if you have, like that is just i don't you don't want to watch world cup like he was i think oliver wound up kind of perfecting that center of how to finesse it and do that kind of stuff but tom is just a a absolute force um up there and had just an amazing tournament so it's like 
to me, like, in all facets of the game, like, we are often too deep right now of as far as two players. Like, someone gets hurt, like, I'm not even, like, all that concerned because I have a, a next guy up all over the place to where I think we're a difficult team to play against. And I think it was when Archie, you know, me and Archie obviously we talk all the time, when he first went to Dynasty, he kind of said something to me about, like, he's like, you realize that if me, with me, Marcelo, and, and um, Greenspan on the field, even if we're in a three-on-five, how hard it is um, to beat us. And he kind of said that, that to me, and I was like, oh, shit, like, he's, he's kind of right. That, you know, you, you get it. And I'm looking at it now that, you know, we're kind of getting into that mode of, like, I look at a roster, and it's like, well, shit, like, if you – we have guys that are just going to be very difficult to get off the field and threats all over the place. So I'm – I'm as – majorly confident going into this to this season that we have the right squad to do it and it's very motivated well uh we're looking forward to seeing how x factor uh is able to perform this upcoming season we have uh we're we're excited to see x factor you know return to all of these finals fields and uh get more trophies and medals uh to their name because they're they're definitely uh deserving of it and i think y'all squad now is uh, going to be uh, set up to uh, really do some damage this season. So um, real quick, looking at the chat for questions, uh, we got one question from uh, Leo on the Titans. Uh, his question is, do you prefer a player that is great at one job or a player that is good at several jobs? Um, I think there's... Um... I, I I probably need a little bit more clarification on the question to answer it 100% correctly. I think if it's, it, it, they got to be good at all jobs, right? If you want someone that's great at something but has deficiencies, like that's just, that can't work at our level. Um, that you got to be good at everything and great at something. But if it's talking about someone who's like, you know, a snake player and they're a great snake player, but they're not, they can't play the three as well or something like that then there's a spot on the field for those types of guys. But then you also need like your, your five tool players, like a, like a, a meter or a Colt or, you know, we, you know, we have a few of them that they can play the, the front spot, but they can play the two, they can play the back spot. Like those, you need those types of guys to on your team that they can kind of do everything. Um, you know, those are, those are um, important components as well and it helps you be less scoutable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, I mean, especially with uh, the ones, I think if if you have a one who's like, hey, he's a he's great at getting in the snake. He's great at crawling down and shooting a lot of people. Like, I mean, there's always going to be spots for guys like that that you're just like, hey, this guy's in and he's going to account for two or three bodies or sometimes even more. Uh, so let's see. Next question um, is also from Leo. He's asking, do you think you will ever make your way back to playing speedball tournaments? Oh, I don't know. I don't know about that. Um, I think for me, it is, you know, I've, I've obviously fielded, you know, quite a few requests, especially because my, my ranking now over the so low. Um, but for me, it's like, there's only so much time, you know, like that I can take away from my family um, and, and, and commit to paintball and move so much of it, right? We're like, you know, X Factor is like, you know, I'm I'm paid to do a job and and it's a passion, right? And I I have to 
everything first, I have to make sure X Factor gets everything they can need, right? So that's my first priority. And then secondly, for me, it's like the the 10-man stuff, like I love, and it's like I, and I've, you know, been part of, I'm a, I'm a fixture on that 10-man squad as far as like I've played all of them with Infamous since the ICPL started. Um, and I would have to, I don't have more to give, I guess the best way to put it. So for me to take another weekend to play a speedball tournament, I'm either taking that away from my family or taking a practice off from X Factor or taking a 10 man off from Infamous. And I just don't have the time to do it. So it would, it would take a lot for me to be able to do it. Although I would enjoy it um, to do it. And, you know, at times I'm able to get up and play some speedball with, with X Factor. Um, there was times in practices last year that I would play like the first day on the layout against the team we were scrimmaging uh, to try to get, uh, just increase my rate of, understanding the layout uh, a little bit faster um but there's pros and cons too because then i you know i i don't i won't be doing that more than likely this season just because we only have one weekend on the layout mm-hmm. there's 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 gives and takes there right um but so yeah the, the short answer is probably not unless it would really lined up um yeah and same thing it's like i, I love you know, when I came in to coach the Titans, it's like that's I had in my head this idea of like I really want to get involved with a divisional program and and give back to the community, all this kind of stuff. And I really like it, it is something like deep down I want to do. Um, but once I started to do it and looked at the scheduling and how it all works out, I just can't and not and do everything else that I'm. You know, ten man is for me, right? That's what gives me. Um, my passion of playing and X Factor is for X Factor and after that to add anything else on even though it pains me because I do want to do clinics and help divisional teams and all that stuff like I can't take more away from my family because then I'm doing a disservice to them so I'm I guess long story short I'm just I'm pulled well it, it definitely takes a lot uh, just uh, and and especially as much as you're already involved with a pro team that is you know flying out to all of these events um but we uh we we sometimes joke that we're like oh we're you know we're d3 and you know we look at the pb leagues and oh ryan brand's got d3 points we could technically have him and then like if there's like one of those bunker fest or xcpl events that allow you to have a pro it's like oh we can have ryan brand and we could you know maybe see if colt roberts is free so we joke about that sometimes but um yeah you're you're doing absolutely a ton for uh just uh san antonio paintball just through your really just through your involvement with x factor so um if that you know the stars ever align which you know not saying they won't in the in the future uh it'd be cool to see you kind of make your return as a speedball player uh so we got let's see one last question uh, from Chris Isaacs. He's asking if you remember back in, he, he thinks it was 2011, he, uh, Texas Aggression hosted an open event at the uh, Brownsville Sports Complex that uh, you guys competed in. And then he says his team won one point and then uh, your team ended up walking away $3,000 richer afterwards. That was that's that's really interesting because I was thinking when's the last time I played a speedball tournament and I think that was it and that was kind of a an interesting um, one it's a kind of a funny story is um, we were 
um, they they had an open tournament, which there just isn't that many of them, with a guaranteed cash prize. And uh, I forgot, it, real last minute we put it together, and I, I think it was maybe it's like me, Colt, Archie, maybe Grayson, and then we brought, um, I think as a sixth player, maybe even as a fifth player, I think Brandon uh, Linaldi back then when he was um, real young and kind of like practicing us for a little bit. I think it was the five of us. And, we drove down there to Brownsville, and it's a you know, especially from Austin, it's it's a, a bit of a haul uh, to get down there. I don't know, like six hours or something, but it was a three thousand dollar guaranteed cash prize. And I think you know, at the time, we're like, oh, right, let's let's go get this money and have some fun. <laughs> so we drove down there, and we parked the car. We pull up the next morning, and then all of a sudden, we didn't tell anybody we were really going at them like the you know. We, cleared it with the league register but we weren't going to publicize it because we didn't want to uh deter uh and hurt the promoter the turnout of any other teams not saying teams wouldn't sign up because they're scared i don't know but you know how it is sometimes i'm sure some team would have been like i'm not going to waste my money these guys are coming down here um and and mind you i think it was three pros myself like very much retired at the time and and a division three guy you know or, or something at the time so it wasn't like we're we're bringing the full X Factor squad. Um, but so we parked the car and all of a sudden Mark Johnson pulls up next to us <laughs> with Texas Storm. And the look on their eyes was like, fuck. And, and it honestly, like for us too, it was kind of like, shit. Like we, we both made this. And for them, they drove like from like Oklahoma and Dallas mm-hmm. um, all the way. You know, that's a big ass drive. Um, and I think it was like for first place, it was $3,000. And for like second prize, it was like loaders. Like it was a big disparity of a prize. Um, and so we, we played that event and it was, it was fun. Um, you know, we, we beat storm the two times we played them. Um, and all the, you know, teams like teams that come up from, from Mexico and then the, the Valley teams, like everyone was very fun and welcoming. Um, it, it was a great event, but we definitely, um, I think the the other funny thing to remind me is that the, when we did the award ceremony, um, they like, you know, rather than a check or anything like that, they literally like held up, put three thousand dollars in a pot, and then they like handed it to us in front of everybody else. And like, in some of these teams are like, you know, came over the border. Like, we don't know a lot of these people, and it's like, oh shit. And and so we literally like hightailed it out of there. And the, even the promoters like. It's the money you can rob them on the way out or something, and it was just like a one of these things that I just remember, like you know, Colt like literally like driving with like a gun under his like seat and all this stuff, like try, like let's get the hell out of town. Um, but it was a uh, it was a really fun event. That was my last uh, speedball tournament. So to get me out of retirement on speedball field, we'll have to talk that. I love it. All right, so uh, we're Mark Johnson. Up. I hope you enjoy your loader. Uh, I hope you still have a Mark Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and that's awesome. All right. So uh, we're wrapping up our show here. Uh, thank you all in the chat so much for being on, Ryan. I want to thank you for your time. I've got one last question for you. So um, this is one that I ask everybody, and this is brought to us by Get That Shot. Message him on Facebook or Instagram if you need media coverage at BunkerFest or at NXL. He's going to be at the full series for both. So, Ryan, are there any Texas-based either teams, players, brands, projects, Anybody in Texas involved in the paintball scene that have caught your attention lately? Uh, who does the rest of Texas need to know about? Um, 
Well, I mean, there's there's a lot, right? And I think, you know, I think I watched you ask this, aren't you, the same question. And it's kind of like, you know, our laser focus is so much at the, the upper levels. And, and just like I said, it's hard for me to get out to the, the US XBL. So it's like, I don't know as much as probably the people there how it fit as much. But like, for me, looking at it, like, um, you know, coming onto the pro scene, like, I just, I feel like, like, Marky Franz, it's really impressive. Like, I've watched that kid since he was like a little you know, tiny guy to, to where he is in his uh, cerebral way he plays the game. It, it, it's really, um, I'm excited to see him out there and kind of get his his due. And then, um, you know, a couple others, like just looking at that team, like Ty Bateman, you know, he had his small run with our team and, um, you know, he maybe wasn't 100% ready there. And I think it, I think a, a mistake of ours was kind of bringing him and Desmond at the same time and having to split our attention and, and it got a little like clicky and stuff, but, you know, I, I, I'm excited for Ty to kind of get his, his, his you know, next shot and probably a, a very much a justified one. Um, and then also uh, really happy for Jared Sherman, who's a guy that I competed against back in those 2000 early tournaments. Right. And for him to um, be, you know, chasing the stream for, for however long and doing what he had to do in his road to, to get to the pros is, um, you know, where, you know, with, I think I maybe it was on Diesel a, a year or two ago where he just paid money and rode the bench the whole time and an opportunity to, to now, you know, coming in and, you know, I think he had a really big event for um, for Notorious and, and towards the maybe Chicago Sacramento. And I'm just really happy for Jared. He, he's gone to long run um and he's kind of you know stayed true to the game and, and he's, he's gonna get a shot so i'm just i'm really happy for him yeah i'm uh i'm pretty close with a lot of those guys that are on that team um two years ago um or maybe no i guess it's closer to three years ago at the end of september of 2020 um and i i tell this story a couple of times but we submitted a line to the uh, Houston USXBL and D4. And on that line in, in D4 was myself, Dylan Strickland, Paul Hubert, Renee and Jared all were all on that line. And so like you have the stack D4 line, all like all of these guys were playing D4 in 2020 and then 2021, yeah. they jump up to play D2. They win it. 2022 they jump up to semi-pro and they play it like just two years ago these guys were playing d4 and d3 so uh the for them to be working so hard for so long and then like they finally make the jump and they just kill it it's great to see so really proud of those guys uh so everybody um i think that about does it for our show ryan uh, do you have any last shout outs or things you like to say before we sign off um, yeah, I mean, um, just kind of a shout out to everybody in Texas and, and really, you know, taking what, you know, we started with Alex and kind of, you know, back in 2004 or five or whatever, and kind of pushing the sport forward a little bit. And, and now it's just being on a completely different level at this point. And, you know, teams everywhere, guys going pro everywhere, guys just, um, it's just really cool. I mean, I think it's, we've, when I grew up, Texas was not the hotbed of paintball and couldn't even be considered, you know, in the conversation. Um, for, for now, you know, to be producing, you know, 
uh, like the podium of NXL events, like so much Texas success is, is, is pretty awesome that we're just, um, so I think to me, that's just, that's, uh, that is a group collective effort from the old school guys all the way up. And it's just awesome to see. So, you know, thank all our sponsors. Uh, Yes, Robin sponsor changes. Uh, the answer is no because we, they've been great to us forever, and we probably have the longest relationship uh, on the roster for most of our sponsors. You know, as far as their teams and uh, so and and that, and then um, you know, obviously to Alex for he allows me and all of us uh, on X Factor the ability to kind of chase our dreams and and kind of live them out, and has for um, you know almost twenty years now. So that's kind of a you know without him. You know, I'm not doing this interview. I'd be long down with the sport, I would think, unfortunately. Sure. I mean, there's a reason why he's the godfather of Texas paintball. Uh, so mm-hmm. everybody in the chat, uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, be sure to go follow Ryan. That's at Rye Brand on Instagram. Also follow X Factor at X Factor PB. Um, what other guests would you like to, would y'all like to see on the show? Be sure to leave a comment down below while you're at it. Hit that subscribe button. The show goes live weekly here on twitch.tv slash in the pits paintball podcast recording to post it to YouTube, Amazon, Apple podcasts, and Spotify the next day. I want to give a quick shout out to my partners and sponsors, FU athletics, get that shot paintball Kumite. Um, also, uh, one that I didn't mention earlier was, uh, compete, which is gel Stewart's brand. Um, be sure to, uh, message him for any of your soft goods used in the pits for 10% off of your order. And then also shout out to hustle town paintball. So y'all thank you so much for tuning in. See you guys next week for episode 31. We will have Kenneth Matthew and Rob Moore of kinetic paintball. Uh, they'll be coming on to talk about, uh, their new products that they've just released. So Ryan, thank you so much for your time. Thank you.